to MindVibe, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The MindVibe podcast is produced by Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the MindVine Podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers and I'm your host for this special episode where we have a member of the community, the larger community, but also the Ontario Shores community, um, who's closely associated with our foundation and uh, a lot of other things going on uh, around town. I'd like to welcome Amanda Grant, a fitness coach and mental health advocate. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, Your story, you tell a lot of your story on social media and bits and pieces. You've done work with the, with the foundation. Uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about you know the start of your like mental health journey. So I've um, you know I've struggled with my mental health my entire life, um, not realizing it of course, but actually once I did my treatment here, it was really where things started to come out um, in terms of different limiting beliefs that I had and daily patterns that I had, um, behaviors. Um, I always knew that I've been medicated for a very long time. I've always struggled with depression and anxiety. Um, from a young age to having that anxiety, I, was a, I grew up as a dancer. Um, I would cry before every single time I would go on the stage. Um, and that was how I coped with my my stress, my anxiety. And back then, we didn't have the tools or the resources. My mom and dad didn't have the tools and resources to be able to really recognize it. So I kind of just grew up just kind of thinking that was how I was. And I was emotional and I, you know, had a hard time controlling my emotions. I had a hard time, you know, making friends and being social and being, you know, constantly judging myself. Um, when I was 18, my brother took his life. Um, he died by suicide. Um, struggled with depression as well as, um, you know, but really masked it. Masked it. Um, and that was a big eye-opener for me to really understand that this is an illness. Um, my brother suffered. I'm suffering. What do I do now? But at the same time, when I lost my brother, I really hid behind his story. And I became an advocate for mental health because I wanted to share his story and let people know that, you know, I don't want you to have to go through the same thing I went through having to lose my brother. Um, And so I'm gonna start talking more about mental health. At the same time though, I was struggling, but I wasn't courageous enough to open up. I wasn't brave enough to let people know that I also suffer from depression, anxiety. you know, and it really wasn't until the pandemic that I, you know, was able to kind of take a breath, stop, because I really used distraction and working as a coping mechanism. Um, doctors continually tried to give me different medication that would help me kind of live my life and try to f- be able to, to get the day-to-day tasks done while I was still dealing with my depression. Um, but really when it hit me really, really hard was the pandemic. But even prior to the pandemic, um, big life changes and big events happening, I never felt I had the skills or the tools to know how to cope. 
Um, and so I would have a lot of suicidal ideations. Um, ended up on a form because it was in my family history that I had lost my brother to suicide. And um, so knowing that there was that family history, I got, was like right away put on a form. Um, a couple times I was admitted to the hospital and uh, it was really the last time in 2019 just before the pandemic. And I said, this is it. I don't want to be in this room anymore. I don't want to put my family through this anymore. My mom and dad have lost a son. Like, how am I going to put them through this and lose a daughter? Um, my sister is like, Amanda, please, like, we need to come up with something. There's, there's more help out there. There has to be something else out there. And it can't just be medication. And that's really what triggered me to, to take those next steps and say, what else can I do that's going to help me to handle my depression and anxiety? And how can I learn the skills to cope with it? Reading books, listening to podcasts, right? Trying to come up with different ways of, of coping, but it was just nothing ever worked. Um, and I, I found myself in behavioral patterns. So when I did my, my treatment, it was cognitive behavior therapy, um, which taught me so much and made me realize so much of how my behaviors were impacting um, or my thoughts and my feelings were impacting my behaviors. So from there, um, going through the process and going through my treatment, um, I feel like a different person. I feel like I finally have skills and I've been able to almost release some of that doubt in myself and, and those limiting beliefs that I would get myself caught into and that would start those triggers that would just take me into that downward spiral. Um, and now I'm very thankful and grateful to say that, you know, I can recognize those triggers faster. Um, they're, it's not that they've been eliminated. I still live with it, but it has now given me and, and the treatment has given me the, the, the tools and the resources to, to manage, um, accept really, I think is, is one of the key things that I've learned throughout my journey is accepting that it's okay not to be okay. And, and realizing that the more I talk about it, the more I have others reaching out to me and letting me know that I'm not alone, that they feel the same way. Um, and not feeling as though my life needs to be perfect or I need to be perfect or, you know, what I put on social media needs to be perfect. Uh, again, from the skills and the tools and the experience of living this way for, for my entire life, um, I do feel as though now I've, I've accepted. Again, like that word just kind of really resonates with me as kind of that turning point of, of my journey and, and feeling as though suicide is not my answer where it was always my go-to. Things got hard, that's it, it's done. Um, and I recognized that I was hurting my family. I recognized that I was hurting my son. Um, and, you know, doctors, therapists, different people I would speak to. Amanda, why can't you just think about Avery when you're feeling that way? And look at a picture of your son and just 
know that he would miss you. And it, that wasn't enough for me, right? Like I knew that my illness was, is, is, because I don't say was, because it still is part of me, but um, I knew that even just looking at a photo of my son, yes, of course it's gonna make me feel sad and may stop me from going deeper into the, to that, those thought patterns. Um, but I knew I needed more. And that's really why I'm so grateful for the program here and why I advocate so much for Ontario Shores. I advocate so much for mental health. Um, being in the fitness industry, you become a quote unquote, almost a robot for people to think that you're happy and excited and motivated and animated and you care so much because that's just what you do. Yes, it is true, but it's also, I know what it's like to feel really bad. And I know what it's like to be in a really dark place. And I don't want anybody to feel that way. I don't want anybody to be in a position that I've been in, where I've almost ended my life, and the position that my brother was in, who was in a really dark place and made that choice. When you like talk, you think back to you know, the time before you, you, know, you enter treatment here and medication is, you know, can be a piece of the puzzle, but can also be the easiest piece of the puzzle to get, right? Like treatment and, and therapy often takes time, you know, whether you have the right therapist or even wait lists, there's lots of barriers. Um, whereas medication is a little bit easier to attain going to your GP and, and it's a way, um, can be very helpful for people, but can also not be enough for people. As you're going through that period in your life where, especially in the industry you're in, where you're going to work, you're putting on that, you know, the smiling face, you're projecting this image of strength, right? And, and inside, you know, you're not necessarily feeling that way. And then you get to the right place where things make sense to you and you see skills. What is that feeling like of being in the right place? You know, it's interesting, again, being in the industry that I'm in, you know, it's very much focused on that physical strength, as you say. And my goal that has been part of my journey is knowing that fitness and exercise have become a coping mechanism for me as well. Knowing that those endorphins and the serotonin that's secreted during a workout help me feel better. And being able to recognize that you know, there's a parallel between physical and mental health and, and really being open to the, that parallel and, and knowing that they go hand in hand. Um, and I use that now with my coaching and I remind people and, and fitness is such a metaphor for life, right? And knowing that, you know, you fight through the tough times and it makes things stronger. And sometimes it's just a matter of like getting your mindset in the right place to know that you can get through it. And I've really, really established that connection and, and helping others as well to establish that connection. Um, seeing even that transition with my own clients and myself of, you know, maybe coming into the gym, you're not feeling so great. Um, you get that workout in and now the your mind's clearer you're feeling better you feel as though there's hope right um 
And there's so much that that resonates in in that sense of physical and mental well-being, and the the importance of both, and that you know going to the gym is not just for your physical being, that you know moving your body is not just for your physical being, and, and recognizing that you know movement is life, and and getting you moving, um, helping to kind of get you into that different environment. Um, you know, for myself as well, how many times have I come down here just to walk by, on the trail by the water, right? Knowing that it's like a place to come and I don't have to think, I don't have to talk, I can just be by the water, along the trail, and it helps to kind of put things back into perspective and feel as though, okay, I can do this, I can make it. Um, you know, it's a little bump in the road, but I'm gonna take that next step and come back stronger being in like in the industry you're in where you're dealing with people right uh, how did that factor into your decision to be so open and honest about what you've gone through right so people will disclose you know uh, you know mild to moderate maybe depression and anxiety not very many people you know talk about you know feeling suicidal or you know, some hospitalizations. So how did you come to the place where you were just gonna like, let it all? <laughs> let it all out. Out. Well, I mean, part of me is that performer where I love being able to inspire people. And when I go to work and I train my clients, um, they know that they, it, it's an open book with Amanda. It's, you know when she's having a good day and you know when she's having a not so good day. Um, almost to the point where, you know, people have said like, Amanda, like tone it down a bit, you know, like you don't have any filter when you talk. But at the same time, like I've learned that sharing what my intention is behind the information is what's important. And if I'm going to try to encourage other people to be more open about their mental health, then I have to lead by example. And you know, you become the change you wanna see in the world. And my goal with being so open about my journey is that more people will become more open about their journey and may seek the help that maybe they've been too nervous to, to seek or talk to somebody that they never thought that they could talk to. And at the end of the day, if it saves a life, that I've done my job. We were talking, you know, earlier about you know the pandemic and your journey at Ontario Shores through the pandemic, and how you know we all, as a, you know, the collective we during especially the early days or even the first year um, of lockdowns and uh, everything to do with the the pandemic, that we were all feeling you know a certain level of anxiety and certainly. Uh, many people would have experienced some form of depression, but that uh, it might have been really challenging for somebody who already has those things, right? Who's already living with anxiety and depression, and then all of a sudden the world's changing. Um, and so what was that like for you? Well, the world is finally maybe starting to feel the way you have most of your life. Yeah, and that was, you know, it sounds, the way that I felt, when the pandemic hit. Um, it was almost like a relief for me because I, 
finally felt like I wasn't alone. And I finally started hearing from people things that I've been feeling my whole life. And recognizing that, you know, knowing that I wasn't alone for the first time was almost a, a weight off my shoulders to think that, okay, I'm not the only one. But up until the pandemic, it was still, and it still is, like that stigma was still there that, you know, if I said anything about my depression or anxiety, there was the judgment. There was, you know, the friendships and clients and like personal professional relationships that would be impacted because of my openness around my, my depression and anxiety. Um, that during the pandemic, you know, going into that isolation, again, it was a, it was a bit of a relief for me because I had a chance to be able to sit and breathe for a second. Um, again, being in an industry that's constantly grinding, um, it was tough. It was tough on our industry as well. And it was one of those breaking points for me as well that also triggered me to seek even more help. Because I did, again, at the, for the first time in my life, have the chance to recognize that there were patterns in my behavior that I couldn't mask anymore because I wasn't working. Now everything was in isolation. And my coping skill of work, 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 work was no longer something I could do because I couldn't work. Um, and that's really where I, I reached out for help and knew that I needed more if I needed my life to change. And recognizing that I'm not getting any younger, my son's not getting any younger, I need to be around for him, I wanna be a role model for him, I wanna have a good life, and I know that I'm gonna to need to put the work in. And for the first time, it was, again, accepting, that word acceptance coming back again, is recognizing that I, I needed to accept that this was an illness and this was something that I'm gonna just live with. Um, but the pandemic, creating that, that position for the majority of the population now, allowed me to even be more open about it because now I could relate to people. Whereas before I never felt like I could relate to anybody because it was just like, oh, she suffers and you know, leave her alone or whatever else. Um, but the, what the pandemic brought out in a lot of people was, as you say, the, those, those feelings of isolation and the depression and the anxiety and feelings that they never had experienced before either, that now I became almost like the expert. Oh, let me help you, <laughs> right? Um, I can actually you know, give you some tools that I've been using and recognizing that oh, maybe I have a new niche that I can offer because I can't be teaching fitness classes right now. The gym's closed. So maybe now I can help people recognize what they can be doing on a daily basis based on my experience that have helped me kind of get me to where I am. And I, I then created a little mindset um, program that I offered alongside of my online classes. Um, again, starting to bridge that gap between the physical and the mental health. Um, and, you know, recognizing that, you know, when we work out and the serotonin and the, the, all the hormones and the, the, um, everything that's secreted in the brain, 
when you work out and then recognizing how that then relates to you know your day-to-day -day and your mindset and and the choices that you make so that the pandemic has been hard but i'm forever grateful for it as as many people will think like how are you grateful for a pandemic but it was the changes in society and the the pace of society that kind of like was like stop right let's slow things down for a second like we're shutting everything down so we have no choice but to slow down mm. um that was a gift for me it was an opportunity for me to realize that i didn't have to work 24 7 to be able to survive and it was also a blessing in disguise for me to recognize that there were behavioral patterns and there were triggers that i wasn't paying attention to before because i would just distract myself um and that's really that was kind of that that pinpoint for me to say there's there's help out there and i think also too from a mental health perspective you know there was more talk about resources about online courses that were available for mental health the mental health first aid that was available um you know like the mind valley the different podcasts that were available that again prior to the pandemic you didn't see as readily available because people didn't talk as readily much about it um and so again i can't even remember how it was that i came across the treatment program that i ended up doing here at ontario shores but it was it was literally from something that i saw online that was regarding mental health support speaking of that program so you're in a generation here at Ontario Shores that uh, received care virtually, whereas before we did offer virtual care, but not nearly to the extent that you know was demanded, uh, you know, since the pandemic hit in March of 2020. And so you went through the whole program without stepping foot on site, you know, to see your uh, clinician. What was the experience like? Maybe I'll back that up a bit. Were you nervous about just seeing somebody? Uh, through a laptop screen instead of being in person? And then did that, if so, like what was the experience like, you know, after you started uh, meeting with them? To be honest, um, you know, the first time, cause I did, had to do the assessment first, make sure that the program was a good fit for, for what I was um, looking for and, and, and required in terms of my, my healing journey. But um, part of me, it was a bit of comfort doing it from home. Um, yes, being on a screen at first was a little bit awkward and then you have like internet connection and it's like, oh, sorry, you froze for a second. What did you ask me? Um, but there was that sense of, of comfort knowing that I was in my own home. I could still get the support that I was needing. And, you know, some of those sessions were really, really deep and I was not okay after them, right? It was, I mean, I was okay. Like she never would let me leave until we both felt as though I had a plan of how I was gonna continue on with the day if I was feeling really low. Um, but in that sense, it wasn't like I had to get in my car and drive home, right? Um, I could literally just close my laptop, cry, journal, you know, do what I needed to do to kind of get me through those emotions um, and then do the work.
the the biggest part was with that relationship with with my therapist even though she was on a screen we still built so much of a relationship and we built so much rapport that you know even on my last session with her like i really wanted to like jump through the screen and give her a hug um i to this day i'm so grateful for her and so grateful that we were able to you know receive the treatment online even though i couldn't come to be physically here um and you know it never even dawned on me that you know what would my treatment be like if i had have gone to the to the hospital versus doing it virtually um the impact it made on me was not the environment that i was in it was the work that i did and the constant reminders of what's my focus going to be this week the accountability again there's so much parallel between what i do with my clients to reach their fitness goals to what she was doing with me to reach my goals mentally um you know and just again having that accountability knowing i was going to meet with her every week you know doing my my scales every week to kind of check in on how i was feeling and that's how we started every week and and going through the different resources um to use that that measuring that the the tools to kind of measure where my progress was you know like on a scale of 1 to 10 how am i feeling and again these kind of questions i ask my clients too and when they're coming into the gym um so it was more so again as i said it was it was more so the the relevance of the the information that i was learning that made the impact more so than the environment that i was in and i do feel as though you know being online and and on zoom you know just seeing her i don't even think it was on zoom actually but one of those online yeah. platforms whatever it was um but just again knowing that i had her support knowing that i could you know have that hour to dedicate to my mental health and it didn't matter how busy my day was it was 11:00 on on friday mornings that was my time and it part of my treatment was even coming up with a plan of how i'm going to continue doing that on a weekly basis and not just relying on friday mornings at 11:00 with my therapist once the 12 week was over okay now how am i going to pivot this into real life and how am i going to now do this on my own and what i appreciated so much about the treatment was that was part of the treatment is how are you going to learn how are you going to live and how are you going to be able to adapt and utilize the tools and the resources that we've we've gone through over the course of the 12 weeks to cope and live day by day not having to rely on my therapist to kind of dictate um my feelings and and behaviors and and knowing that i did have the tools and knowing that you know i had my workbook and i had things you know all flagged and you know i was ready to create like write my own book based on that experience knowing that you know if more people had these tools how different the world could be well, i was just going to ask about cuz your journey you know extends over years you know like the loss of your brother and the impact on that and the uh, impact of that on you and um you know dealing with it in different ways but it sounds like you know finally you dealt with it with the way that you needed it to be dealt with 
but you explore a lot of those things, I'm guessing, as you're going through, you know, treatment, all the, you know, the different peaks and valleys of your life. What did you learn about yourself, maybe from the time that you lost your brother, you know, and then going, you know, that, you know, that large period of time between that, you know, a tragic event in your life to reaching, you know, the point where you're at today? Um, you know, as I said, like it was, I, one of the breaking points for me during my treatment was when I realized I had to stop hiding behind my brother's story. And that for the past 20 years, I've told my brother's story as a way for me to cope. And also recognizing that it was a healing part of the journey and, and again, not being ready to share my story about me personally but that I could still get the message across that mental health was important, that you know people knew what happened with my brother, so I could always fall back on that story and talk about you know what it's been like losing a sibling and you know what it's been like knowing that you know he had mental health and mental illness and and you know obviously like ended very tragically. Um, but I was 18, I was very young and we were also in a very different stage with society when it came to mental health and suicide, um, even to the point where my parents were very ashamed, um, wouldn't even tell people actually what happened, right? Because there was still so much of a stigma around mental health and suicide and, and just knowing that, again, that judgment was still there. And just knowing that over the years, the conversation becoming more and more normal. Um, again, this is where I thank the pandemic to make the conversation a little bit more normal because more people were recognizing that it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to have those moments that are a little bit harder, and myself included, that I didn't need to kind of put this mask on anymore of let's just put the show on and we'll, we'll just figure it out in the background. Um, you know, it was, it was a breaking point for me to kind of recognize that if I stop hiding behind my brother's story and actually start sharing my story, A, it makes me feel that I can make more of an impact. It helps me with my own journey to be able to talk about it. And it also is, it goes hand in hand with the reason why I talk about it so much and the intention of creating a conversation that isn't so uncomfortable or allowing people to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's, that's a saying I, I say to my clients <laughs> when they're working out, right? Like be comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, like push through those last couple of reps and you'll be, you'll be ecstatic with what you can actually that's accomplish. How you get results, right? Exactly. And that's really where I was like, wait a second, this, this is what I need to be doing for myself and, and recognizing that this is life and we all have a story 
and we all have been through various events in our lives. Um, and making it more normal to, to talk about those events and to talk about the skills and the resources and the tools that are available for everyone. It, it, it's not even having to, to be on a wait list to do a program. Yes, wait on the wait list for sure because the programs are incredible. But knowing that there's so much out there that can help. And whether it's, you know, reading books, whether it's listening to books, whether it's podcasts, whether it's, you know, talking to somebody that's um, educated in the mental health field, taking the mental health first aid course. The fact that there's a mental health first aid course now is so amazing that, you know, I feel that I wish the government would always say, like, everybody must take the mental health first aid course as much as they tell us we have to be certified in CPR and first aid to be able to do the things that we do. Well, let's also create that normalcy in mental health, in knowing how to help somebody, in knowing how to have those conversations with people and being able to respond and provide that support to somebody that might be in a crisis or might be in a position where they feel alone. And you know, it's one thing to say, reach out, reach out if you're, you're feeling sad. Well, that's the last thing I wanna do. You know, I, I, when I recognize that I'm, I'm feeling depressed or I'm, I'm having an anxiety attack or you know, any of those triggers that kind of bring me into that downward spiral, the last thing I wanna do is be around people. And the first thing I do is isolate. And even when people reach out, you know, I've recognized that I push them away. Or I, won't, I won't respond to the phone, I won't respond to text messages. And knowing that I'm probably not the only one that feels that way. And so when people tell me like, you know, it's okay, let me know if I can help. You know, if, if there's anything that anybody can do to help is check in on your friends, check in on your family members because you know, when you think that somebody's okay and the ones that seem like they're the most okay are usually the ones that need somebody to check in. And because of what I do for a living and constantly checking in with clients and constantly being their cheerleader and pushing them through those moments, you know, it was almost like, well, she's fine. How, how does she struggle? Hmm. She's so good at making sure we're okay. How come she can't make sure she's okay for herself? Um, and that was really hard, right? That was really hard to, to almost feel like a bit of a, like imposter syndrome of, oh my goodness, like, yeah, if I can help everybody else achieve their fitness goals and help them with becoming stronger and, and more comfortable with their, themselves and you know, making fitness and movement part of their daily activity, you know, I could use those same principles with my own daily routines and my morning routines that will help me with my, my mental health. If we can put that much into our physical health, then let's make it normal for our mental health. And you know, when I see things like mind gym, I love that stuff because it's like, yes, finally, like there's somebody else who recognizes that this needs to be a part of our health. Our overall health and well-being is not only just your physical health, 
but your mental health as well. And, you know, putting kind of all those, those pieces together of, you know, when you move your body and you get those endorphins and the serotonin and the dopamine and the different, the different chemicals and the hormones in your body that help you to feel better. Well, then now what happens? Now you start to eat better. Oh, now you start to have more energy. Oh, now you start to think clearer. Oh, now, okay, life isn't so bad. Okay, maybe now I do have the skills and the strength to get through these tough times. And just realizing that it's a cycle in, in a sense of, you know, there's gonna be those ups and downs. And, you know, I think the biggest point for me as well during my journey has been recognizing again, like it's okay not to be okay. And that the days that are hard, I'm gonna accept that they're hard. And just know that, okay, today maybe is not gonna be the most productive day. Maybe today I'm you know, not gonna make as much of a difference in someone's life as I will on the days that I feel better. But what I recognized was, you know, going through the journey of the trauma that I experienced from, from losing my brother, it was in my mind, I had to do everything right now because I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. So if I'm not my best all the time and I don't give my best all the time and I'm not 100% all the time, well, I don't know if tomorrow is gonna be an option for me, so I gotta do it now. But putting that pressure on myself to be 100% all the time, to be perfect all the time, it wasn't, it wasn't fueling my body with what I needed. And recognizing that it's okay, I don't need to be perfect. Um, again, going through my treatment, kind of recognizing what are some of the thoughts that I think on a regular basis, writing those down, a little bit scary to write down. And, you know, you write it down and it becomes real. And you go through, you know, the, the categories of answering kind of the questions of, you know, why am I feeling this way and how valid is this thought? And again, all the cognitive behavioral therapy that, that, um, that goes into the treatment it's because of those steps that then I realized, okay, yeah, I've been a perfectionist my whole life and it's okay not to be perfect. And it's okay if on the days that I'm not feeling great, I don't need to push myself to, to do the things that I would on the days that I am feeling great, but to really celebrate those days that are great and really you know, embrace the, the good days and know that the bad days are also only temporary. And that was a game changer. That was a game changer, is that I no longer put the pressure on myself for life to be perfect 24 seven. And I no longer put the pressure on myself to be perfect 24 seven. And that's really why I utilize social media and my Instagram to share and be very open and vocal about how I'm feeling because there's this pressure around social media that this is the perfect world and everybody puts on their happy face and why does everybody need to take a break from social media? Because it gets too much. And the second that I started to recognize that I don't need to take a break from my social media because I'm gonna make sure that what's on my social media is fueling me and providing me with the tools and the resources that are gonna make me feel better, not make me feel worse. 
so that what I see in my feed is reminding me that I'm enough, that what I see in my feed is reminding me that I have the tools to get through day-to-day -day struggles, that I have the tools to battle you know, the demons when they come, and, and now allowing my, the platform to become more of a, a conversation piece that now when I speak more openly about my, my, my depression and my anxiety when things aren't so great, it's no longer, oh, should I really put this on social? Are people gonna judge me? Right now, I don't care if they judge me because now I have this sense of confidence where I remind myself, what's my intention? Well, my intention is to make the world more accepting of people's stories and accepting their mental health and accepting that there's good days and there's bad days. And let's talk about both. Because if we can talk about both, maybe it will then resonate with someone else who then will talk about both. And the story and the conversation no longer has to be uncomfortable. And just as much as we talk about our success and our achievements and proud mom moments. Well, I'm also going to talk about those proud moments that I have now where I overcome my doubt and my insecurities and those small wins of, okay, I stopped myself from going into that downward spiral and feeling as though suicide was my answer. I've now made the choice that suicide is not the answer. I have my medication that keeps things kind of level, but I also now have tools and skills, including confidence that I can handle the hard stuff. And I can, you know, battle through those moments that may have been those triggers for me to say, this is it. To now either step back and say, okay, this is not a good day. And or, um, you know, think about and go back to my workbook to, I got all those pages flagged, <laughs> go back to that workbook and do some of the exercises. And I think that that was an important thing for me is that it was time in my journey for me to make those steps. It wasn't just going to therapy, talking to someone for an hour and then leaving and going back to life. It was the therapy now and the, the treatment now was, oh, I have homework. Okay, I have work to do. I have to start recognizing what I'm doing on a regular basis if I want to make changes. And that accountability and that awareness on a regular basis, on a daily basis, now taught me that there is a way to change the path in my brain. And I'll never forget that, you know, my therapist drew a little picture while we were, and even on Zoom, she drew pictures, right? She got her little whiteboard out and drew like this line and said like, look, this is, this is the path. Like this is the neural pathway in, in your brain. And this is what it's thinking right now. This is the only direction that it needs to go. And what we're gonna do throughout the treatment is kind of know how to change that path. And that visualization has stuck with me even a year later since finishing the treatment is is knowing that I'm, I'm building those new pathways and that it's possible to change your mindset. And it's possible 
to change the way that you think, which will therefore change the way that you live. You know, like social media, I'm just going back to your earlier point, is it's like the Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's uh, research and uh, any medical opinions have not caught up with you know, what's going on out there and, and the impact that it, it has on our collective mental health and, and how these companies are um, you know, landing things in our feed and the impact it has on it. You, you know, on your social media, you use, you know, you, you do a lot of things, but you make reference to your son a lot. There's lots of pictures of your son on there. I, you know, I think in your bio, you're, it says like proud hockey mom. <laughs> when, and he, you know, he's, he's a, looks like a teenager, right? How do you, how do you deal with what you do there and the changes you want to make personally and, and then the legacy you want to leave your son? Like how, how do you manage mental health and raising a, a son in today's world? Well, it's, it's interesting because again, when I had him and so the crazy part was, is I had him three years after my brother died and he is the replicate of my brother, which, you know, for my mom is like, he kind of filled the void. Um, but then there was also this thought of, I'm gonna have to tell him why his uncle's not alive. And again, this was 16 years ago where things were still very different. And I was scared. I was nervous to tell him what happened. And again, just around the stigma, around the information, you know, the, the education around mental health and in myself and in society that, you know, as he grew up, I tried to hide it, but obviously he's a smart kid. He knew that I struggled. Um, obviously when he was younger, it was more confusing for him than as he got older and, and could see that, okay, mom struggles, She's having another tough day. You know, when I ended up in the hospital, it was still, you know, kind of masked of mom's sick. You're going to stay with your dad for a couple of days. Um, and then coming back, and normally when I would come back from the hospital, my mom and dad would stay with us for a couple of days, make sure that I was settled and could be a mom again. Um, but I think that that made him a stronger kid. And I, 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 I held a lot of doubt, or a lot of guilt, I should say, for a long time, that I felt like I would, again, limiting beliefs of, you know, I'm such a bad mom because I, I can't care for my child, and you know, I can't take care of myself, so how am I gonna be able to take care of my child? And I don't wanna lose my child, I don't want somebody to think that I'm not well enough to, to be able to be a mom. Um, and now that he's 16, you know, we've had the conversation about Uncle Jeff and they, the conversation about mental health is a little bit more normal in school than it was even when I was in high school. Um, you know, but even just having like Val Let's Talk Day and that initiative just, again, just to get people talking, right? 
And I always have said to him, listen, we don't need to wait for just one day to talk about it. We talk about it any day. Just like we don't wait to talk about my brother just on the day that he passed or just on his birthday. It's, we talk about him and we talk about his story and we talk about memories day to day. There's pictures of my brother all around my house um, so that I can have those reminders of him so that my son can see him um, and know that mental health is health. And this is part of being a human being. And that what my goal is with him is to help him create that conversation that doesn't feel so uncomfortable. And being 16 and being able to have that openness around, you know, yes, my mom struggles with depression and anxiety and, you know, she's had to get treatment. He's, I'm so proud of him because you know, sometimes he kind of takes that parental role. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like watching me struggle has made him stronger. Um, and, you know, as much as I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm such a bad mom, you know, this poor kid, he's lived such a hard life. Now I almost feel like, okay, at least he's learned from my mistakes and from this journey and kind of seen me that you know, he has that empathy to, I feel like, well, now he's, like, his wife will be so well taken care of. <laughs> you know, like, or, you know, he's a good friend to his peers to be able to, you know, have those conversations that, again, maybe other kids are, are nervous to talk about. Um, and, yeah, it's, it, it's uncomfortable, I'm sure, for him, too, at, at times where he's like, Mom... You're so embarrassing. I mean, he says that even just when I'm happy, not even just when I'm sad, right? wouldn't say, wouldn't matter Exactly. He's a teenager, yeah. right? But it's like, if it's going to get more people talking, and if it's going to get you feeling more comfortable talking about it, then that's perfect. And, you know, you're a teenager. Yes, you're going to have those moments where you think you're so embarrassed by your mom, um, and that's okay. But at the end of the day, it's, I know that, our relationship is stronger and the bond that we have is stronger because I've also been more open about my struggles with him and, you know, being candid about, you know, days are going to be tough and we're all going to struggle and, and cope in different ways. And for myself now, even recognizing if he's in that position, again, during the pandemic, it was not easy for him to not be playing hockey, not be at school, you know, be isolated, not be with his friends. Like, he's a teenager. Um, then it, it made me also realize that, you know, we need those tools also for parents to be able to recognize those triggers in their kids, right? That my parents didn't have that education. They didn't have the tools to recognize, to know when to ask for help or to have somebody check in on my brother. You know, if I have those moments where I see something in him, again, maybe I overthink it, but it's more so now that, okay, if he's not going to talk to me, then I'm going to reach out to his coach or I'm going to reach out to a friend or, or family member that maybe will check in on him that he's not like, ah, oh, mom, why you always have to ask me these questions, you know? Um, and so it's almost like my journey and my skills that I've had to adapt 
through this journey is almost giving him those skills and also knowing that, you know, there's help, making sure that he knows that he's not alone if he's feeling depressed or, you know, knowing that he can talk to people, you know, whether it's, you know, myself, friends, coaches, family members, whoever it is, um, that maybe the conversation doesn't have to be so uncomfortable. You know, I think, you know, for this generation too, like for them to see that uh, life can be messy, you know, sometimes, and it's not just from a mental health perspective, just life in general can be messy, um, you know, will hopefully give them tools to be able to, to cope or at least be able to have those conversations versus uh, things being shrouded in secrecy and then discovering years later that, that, oh, that person who died, they actually committed suicide, which is my generation, right? Finding right. out, you know, why that person went missing or what that, why they're no longer in your life and you find out 15, 20, 25 years later, right? Whereas, um, you know, your son and others living it and being exposed, you know, I, th I still think there's lots of work to do. Um, we're really good at um, talking about mild to moderate mental health issues, but some of the messier ones, we're yeah. still not there, but, yeah. but like, hopefully this is progress, right? And, and hopefully your son will go into that being able to have conversations versus not understanding what's going on or being able to recognize that. Um, well, the last thing, I, you know, first thing, thank you for being so honest and uh, about your story and your experience. Um, as I mentioned, you are in the health industry. You're, you're a good follow on Instagram. So how can people who want to um, connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah, so they can find me um, on Instagram. My handle is Manders Vibe, or you can just search Amanda Grant. Um, and feel free to reach out. I'm on Instagram all the time, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, both for myself and for my, my business. But um, send me a DM. Um, reach out. Let's make this a conversation that's normal. And any support that I can provide anybody, help to guide you in the right direction, um, I would be more than honored to, to be a part of. Well, thank you very much for being a part of this and all the best moving forward. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.